0: Hey everybody, Pastor Worth here. Welcome to West Seattle Christian Church Online. If you're new, welcome and thanks for joining us. If not, welcome back. Please pardon the frog in my throat as I'm recovering from a cold. Uh, just want to begin with a few quick announcements uh, and to say that we have, I uh, hope you have a fun and safe Halloween in your neighborhoods tonight. Our first announcement is that we just had an epic middle school student ministry Halloween party this last week, and we're excited for our next middle school youth night this coming Wednesday night, November 3rd at 6pm, right here at our West Seattle campus. Our next middle school night after that is uh, a couple weeks later on Wednesday, November 17th. So come hang out with us at 6pm in our gym for free dinner. Your whole family is invited, and then head over to youth room in our social hall for fun activities, some games, and a short time of learning about Jesus. Uh, you can find out all you need to know about our middle school student ministry on our website at westseattlechristian.church slash middle school something we're super excited about around here is that our missionaries to ethiopia craig and allison fowler are back in town to share with us about what they've been up to in the asosa region of ethiopia and to give us an update on their church planting water well projects prison and campus ministry and much more so Please join us in the worship center for this socially distanced gathering on Monday evening, November 7th at 7 p.m. Masks and RSVP are required. You can RSVP online at westseattlechristian.church blog Ethiopia or by emailing us at hello at westseattlechristian.church. Next, a big thank you to everyone who brought coats and winter gear to our all-church worship gathering last week. You will have a second opportunity to do that at our next all-church worship gathering in a few weeks on Sunday, November 21st, right here in West Seattle on our church campus here at 4400 42nd Avenue Southwest. So we'll see you then and bring your coats. Finally, we believe the best church you can belong to is the one you can walk to in your own neighborhood. And here in West Seattle, that's not only the case for our in-person worship gatherings on campus here at church that are once a month, but it's also the case for our kinfolk groups that meet the rest of the month in homes. We believe that corporate worship together is important, but equally important, if not more so these days, is building a close-knit community of people that are in and of and present to our existing neighborhood. And that's what Kim Folk groups are all about. So of course, one of our Kim Folk groups always meets here on campus at 10 a.m. in our social hall, which is the lower level of our chapel building. Just use the back door on the east side of the building, just off of our main parking lot. We hope to see you all at a Kim Folk group soon. You can find out more at westseattlechristian.church slash groups. Last but not least, for you folks watching on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe, as well as hit the like icon below. This will really help our channel out. All right, today is the last day in our Galatians series, and we're going to cover all of chapter 6, which you can pause and read that if you'd like. But before we jump into that, I want to spend some time summing up last week and then talk about Paul's approach as he brings everything back down to earth and lands this rocket of a letter. So last week, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. And we said, if we want to measure whether or not what we are doing is lined up with God's agenda for our life, all we have to do is measure the fruit. The question is, when we look at you and your life, what fruit do we see? Do we see self-interested? selfish, angry, divisive, or even destructive things coming from your life? Or, do we see things that are products of the Spirit welling up in your life, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? And the issue here is that there are a lot of things in this list that are really obvious, like if I deliberately hurt somebody to get revenge, that's obviously not full of the Spirit. However, there are a lot of other things in our lives that seem to be not so clear. So what Paul begins to do here at the end of this letter in chapter 6 is talk less about the specific list of things to avoid like he did in chapter 5, and he starts talking more about the motivations of your heart and my heart. Like any good leader, he knows that simply telling you what things are not good for you to do really won't make a bit of a difference to you. Kind of like a parent Telling their kid what they can't do just makes them want to do it more or something like that. So he talks about the heart and what motivates it. Because that gets to the crux of our decision-making process. The core of what really matters when it comes to how we actually live out spirit-filled actions in our lives. Basically, Paul says, focus on Jesus and the motives of your heart will be good. The idea is to pursue things that come out of a spiritually driven place. For example, this is kind of a long-winded example, but hang with me. You can give money to a nonprofit, or help a homeless person, or support the work of a friend in a foreign country, or a gift to an organization that helps hungry kids. And when someone asks you why you do that, you could say, well I do it because it makes me feel good. It's just, it's just the right thing to do. And we all, we all probably have things in our life that, that fit that bill, fit that description. We also know uh, when someone is instinctively, we know instinctively when someone's kind of like always bragging about all the awesome and caring and maybe philanthropic things they do. And we kind of instinctively get the sense that it's not really because they care about what that organization is about or about who those people are that are affected and that kind of thing. Their motivation seems to center more on getting praise for some reason. And of course a touch point on that which we've talked about many times before, is our identity. And we get our identity from others and what they think about us. So we do things to please others or because we want them to think a certain thing about us. And the problem with this is that you can't give enough money or stuff away to make you feel better about yourself. It is decidedly better to come to an understanding of God, that he exists, that he created you, and then discover what he thinks about you. And and that's more important than anything else in the world. And what he thinks about you is that he loves you. That's where our identity comes from. And if you know that, and if you believe it, then the generosity that comes from that place, that kind of generosity will change the world. So when someone asks you why you live like that and do those things, you can say with utter truth and conviction, because I believe God cares for all of those people. And I'm joining him in the work that he's doing in and through all these other organizations and people who are awesome. In short, uh, and without any trace of doubt, you can say Jesus lived this way and I live the way of Jesus. So I want you to see the difference there in the motivations of the heart. And that's what Paul is going to get into here in a minute. And I hope you I hope you get that I'm not saying you need to question every good thing that you do in your life and put it under the microscope. That's not it at all. But What I am saying is that the motivation of your heart is central to whether or not our actions come from the place that produces fruits of the spirit or fruits of the flesh, as Paul talked about last week. The fruits of the flesh, I mean, those are results that come from our own agenda and our own power, results that kind of give a little bit of honor to God, but a larger share of honor to ourselves. As you begin following Jesus's way of life and figuring out the motivations of your heart, You will produce the fruit of the Spirit. And what Paul is going to say in today's passage is, don't get conceited and start being jealous of one another. Trying to kind of one-up each other or outdo each other. Because, and the reason he does that is because when you take away the rules, kind of what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, when you do that, people usually go one or two ways. The first way is they just say, I'm free to do whatever I want. Let's party, you know. And the second way is they just make up their own, a new set of rules, basically. And in this second way, they say, let's just still call it love and joy and peace and patience, fruit of the Spirit. But it's really all about the list of things and actions you're supposed to do or not supposed to do. And it's not really about following Jesus. Unfortunately, there's a lot of American Christianity that has traded following Jesus for just another set of rules. And that is exactly what Paul's been railing against in this letter. So I want you to go back and listen to the beginning of this series if you haven't already, so that you understand that better if you haven't already. So what has happened is, is that people just do actions that make it look like we're producing fruit. But the motivations of our heart are sometimes misplaced when we do that. So I said last week that the right thing done the wrong way becomes the wrong thing. And I would say that this is the condition for a lot of the American church. The right thing done the wrong way becomes the wrong thing. So that's what Paul's getting getting and get to here today. There are tons of different kinds and types of people who are following God. And the way that looks can be multiple different ways across many different churches, denominations, states, countries, overseas, and different villages, jungles, cities, etc. And as you interact with other Christians, you will inevitably come across another follower of Christ who may be behaving a certain way where you're like, "Uh, well, that's probably not Christ-like or holy or godly. What they're going to do is they're going to step outside the boundaries of what you might think are the boundaries. So what Paul's going to talk about today is how to have a conversation with each other about that when we see that going on. So let's jump in to chapter six. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. All right, the question here is, whose work are you to test? Your own. And this is hard, because we live in a day an age full of cynicism and skepticism and criticism. Things haven't changed much from Paul's day. People are critical of each other. People judge each other. So Paul says, test your own work. Because if we're to be measuring uh, the condition of our heart, it's one thing to do that for ourselves, which is why I think Paul is saying this. Because only you can accurately measure the condition of your own heart. You might be able to measure the condition of of the heart of relatively few other people and even then only some of the time i'm thinking of people like maybe your kids or your spouse etc and even then you have to be very healthy both of you if it's a spouse you know both of you have to be very healthy and have some ground rules set up so that you can talk freely with permission to each other about the hard things that need to be talked about otherwise you're talking about a lot of anxiety and tension uh Measuring the condition of someone else's heart is an abstract exercise because you don't have all the facts and all of the data on that other person all the time. So, what Paul is warning about here is this when you quickly make a judgment about another person's heart, that's a dangerous place to be. And it's especially bad because you aren't taking a look at your own heart when you're judging somebody else's heart. Is my heart? anchored in a spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Or is my heart coming from a place of criticism, like I have to be right, you have to be right, like you're the gatekeeper of truth and justice? Is that where you're coming from? Jesus said to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. He, he said, they will know you're my disciples by the way you make others honor the truth, right? By the way you make sure to point out that they're wrong. By the way you take a stand against the culture and let everyone on social media know that they're spiritually bankrupt. Is that what Jesus said? No, that is not what Jesus said. Listen, you don't get into heaven by being right. He said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. And you need to le- let that sink in because you're going to have interactions with others where you're like, look, I don't know if what you're, what you're doing or what you did is something a Christian would do. Now, I know some of you are hearing this, uh, and I want to d- kind of just address the elephant in the room. Among all the people who are listening and watching this right now, there are a lot of theological opinions. That's the truth. And some of those opinions, shocker, contradict each other. And talking like this about this stuff in the way I just did is like standing on the edge of a cliff for some Christians and for some others, it's not. And if you sat down with me for a day and you and I talked about all of my theological positions, you would go, that's fire. You are spot on. But there are other things that I believe the Bible says really clearly That if you and I were to sit down and talk about them and you knew what I thought about that, you would be really mad and like, I can't believe you think that means that. And you'd be really let down. Paul's point is that we have to figure out how we're going to work through all of that. we got to figure out a way in the church in America to not compromise our convictions, but to stand in a place of love with each other where we work on having a better way to have these kind of conversations because... Your truth does not win the world. Your love does. By the way, freaking amazing book by that name, Love Does by Bob Goff. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to go check that book out. (laughs) Jesus said it over and over and over again. Love wins the world. Now, I want you to hear me here. People push back on me all the time about stuff. Sometimes people say, Uh, You just don't want to take a stand uh, on that, or you don't want to take a position on this. No, I have all kinds of stances on different subjects, all kinds of convictions. But what I also have is a knowledge that I'm not always right. But people still love to proof text me. Pastor, haven't you read this verse or that verse? But basically, they get down to the point where they say something like, what you said last week was wrong. And they do it with kind of this false humility kind of line of thinking like, Like this, now pastor, I don't have this all figured out, but you're wrong. (laughs) In other words, they say they don't have it all figured out, but one thing that they do have figured out is that I'm wrong. Now, I'm not sure about you, but that doesn't make me want to have a conversation with somebody. What I'm getting at is, there has got to be a way to have these conversations. And when we do, it's not about you being right and me being wrong or vice versa, The whole point is to honor the name of God better when we have that conversation. Maybe it's about asking questions and not about making statements. Maybe it's more about fighting for understanding each other. I don't know anybody who doesn't want to be really and truly understood and heard. Do you? And and I think if the church doesn't get this right, the church will be dead way sooner than you think. I mean dead and gone. Because the generations that come behind me, They don't care about your truth, my truth, about you being right. And that doesn't mean they don't care about the truth, but they don't care about your truth. Does that make sense? So Paul goes on. He says in verse 6, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. And I want to just stop there for a second. This has got to be hands down one of my favorite verses as a pastor and a Bible teacher. Because I would just love it if what Paul says here actually happened, I would love to know if what I teach actually helps all of you out there understand how to follow Jesus just a little bit better. Not instead of just what you don't like about what I said, or if you had a list of things you think the church should be doing after we after service on a Sunday. I mean, feel free to drop a comment in in, in the comment section on YouTube. All right. Moving on, verse 7, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Here's what Paul is not saying here If you screw up, you're going to pay. No, he is not saying that. What he is saying is, Don't freak out if you see something that somebody's doing that's inconsistent with Jesus. And don't think you need to be the big bad scripture and spiritual life CIA or FBI or secret service for everybody. God is a big boy. He can take care of himself. God is not mocked or fooled. And over time, the fruit of that thing that whatever somebody is doing will be produced, whether it's a fruit of the flesh or fruit of the spirit. You're going to be able to tell the fruit of it. And one of two things will happen. Either if we're both truly pursuing Christ, either that person is going to realize, man, that probably wasn't the best thing to do. Or I'm going to realize, wow, there's fruit coming out of that thing they did. And I don't know what to do with it. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe together, me and that other person or those two other people can bring about a better version of Jesus living in them. Maybe that's the point. So don't worry about it. God's not fooled. People reap what they sow. So if you sow to the flesh, that's what you'll reap. And if you sow to the Spirit, that's what you'll reap. Verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith let me just stop there and say this to you. The kingdom needs you to not quit. Let me tell you about, about this a little bit. I know exactly what it feels like, especially when it seems I'm all out of grace and I'm out there with those people of the world. I know what it feels like when people look at you and they start picking at everything you're doing and saying, please don't quit. I know deep down exactly what it feels like to say you know what I could go work construction forget this or I could go back to school and get a different degree there are a lot easier ways to make money than the way I'm making money (laughs) you know uh, making a living I I know exactly what it feels like and I know a lot of pastors who were good godly women and men who threw in the towel because they grew weary of doing good because they were ripped apart and torn to shreds torn down And you know who did that to them? Church people. And it breaks my heart, because the kingdom is way, way less because of that, because they're not serving in that way anymore. Because we didn't figure out how to hold one another up. We didn't figure out how to create a space at the table for people different than us, like what we talked about the first couple messages of this series. And there's a really good word in the Bible for this. It's called sin. It's proud, and it's arrogant. And I think Paul's challenge to his listeners is this. If you're gonna live in the spirit, it's first and foremost going to take humility as you engage in relationships with other people. Why? Because you could be wrong. And so I wanna leave us with some challenges and implications from this whole series um, as we wrap this up. First. In this series, we've seen the importance of community, and by that I mean we saw Paul have a message that he believed was from God, and he went to Jerusalem, to the church there, the the head of the church, and said, if you don't approve of this, I will not preach it. It was given to him by the Lord, but if the community couldn't get on board with it, he wasn't going to make it a point of division. Do you hear that? The next implication, we've seen the importance of faith. We have to believe in the story that God's telling with the world, that you are not inferior, you are not a mistake, you are not less than, you are not completely and only a screw-up, that your life is messed up. No, you are somebody that God created full of potential. And if you'll trust the story he's telling with your life, he will do more with your life than you could ever do on your own. Next, we've seen the danger of trying to earn your justification, to carry a set of rules, black and white, who's in and who's out based on who flew, followed the rules and who didn't. And while that seems a little cleaner, it's just deader. It's dead. There's no life in that. The last implication, we've seen the importance of freedom. The name of this series. Freedom to follow the Lord wherever He takes us. It's not the freedom to do whatever I want to do. It's the freedom to not be chained by rules so that you can serve others from a place of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so let's finish out the series with just a few final challenges. We've spent two months in the book of Galatians. What is God saying to you? What are you going to do about it? What's gonna change for you? Now that we've studied all this, are you just gonna be like, well, I have some good things to think about. I learned some new stuff. Need to work on this or that. The challenge would be for you to talk with God about what you are specifically going to be and going to do differently concretely as a result of the last two months or was all of this just interesting see you next week for a brand new series heading into our holiday season until then i'm worth wheeler for west seattle christian church stay rooted and deep in jesus and produce good fruit my friends let's pray father we really want to say thank you for your grace And your forgiveness and Lord we pray for forgiveness for all the ways we say things about other people other churches other Christians that aren't rooted in spurring each other on to good works and love we pray for forgiveness for that father sometimes our pride and arrogance our flesh gets in the way of your agenda in our hearts as we wrestle with all the things we've learned these last eight weeks help us to commit regardless of what the people around us do, to work at being better at the part we each have to play, to be people that celebrate the good in this world, to be a person who engages in your redemptive work wherever we can find it. Lord, I pray may your name be great and receive the glory it is due. In Jesus' name, amen.